Hi, and welcome to the Tomato Timer, a podcast about learning to learn. I'm Zubair from Xenos, and I'm tuning in live with experts from around the world, asking your questions and hearing their stories, all before the timer goes off. 24 minutes and 39 seconds to go. This is episode 48 of the Tomato Timer, and I'm excited to invite an inspiring guest and a fellow One Young World ambassador uh, to this episode. Uh, Madhav is the founder of Green the Gene, a project he started as an eight-year-old, uh, an environmental club, which has turned into the world's largest completely youth-led organization fighting environment, environmental crises around the world um, through data-driven and low-cost technology solutions. Madhav, it's really, really good to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So, Madhav, we have to start right at the beginning, right? An eight-year-old starts a club and he has continued to develop and grow it over so many years and had such an incredible impact. Tell us what kind of triggered the idea and then what led you to continue to put your energy towards this until now? Sure. So I think it, 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 it starts um, back, back when I was eight, right? So I grew up in a part of India that is essentially sort of affected by water scarcity all year round. Uh, we don't get a lot of rainfall, and back then, the, the water infrastructure around it wasn't really great. Uh, what that meant was that while growing up, uh, there were times where, you know, there was citywide water rationing. And in fact, I remember a summer where my mom had to sort of turn on, uh, you know, like different sorts of, uh, you know, like, essentially like a way to pull water from like the, the official mm. pipeline into our tanks so that we had water at home. Yeah. Uh, and, so that, that was a very interesting experience growing up. I, I, I never really understood or realized what that was or why that was necessary. But then one fine day, we had this environmental science class uh, back when I was in third grade, eight years old, uh, where our teacher told us that the water table in this part of the country where I grew up was falling by two feet every year. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand that. Uh, I didn't really know what two feet means or what the implications <laughs> of something like that yeah. were. But that suddenly stuck with me, right? That that made me realize that okay, that that might be related to the fact that people are finding it harder to draw water, right? So that might be related to why uh, water access is becoming a problem for communities and people I know. And then that suddenly connected the dots. Mm-hmm. Um, so that took this abstract problem of like climate change and sustainable development into this very very sort of concrete thing that you know. I realized it affects people. Mm. Um, and that was sort of the inspiration uh, that pushed me to start Green Gene. We started really, really small and simple. It was uh, basically me convincing three friends and we planted like six trees right outside our schoolyard. That, that, that's how we got started. Amazing. And it's, it's incredible to hear, it makes a lot of sense as well that you localize a problem. To think about um, the SDGs uh, in a very kind of, in a vacuum essentially, is is overwhelming because they're they're such huge problems. But as soon as you localize it and think about, hey, what's affecting my community on a day to day basis, it starts to kind of become like these are the problems and these are the solutions. Um, that's amazing. And then you continue to grow it. So what was what was that trigger point or that tipping point where you thought, hey, this is something I want to continue pursuing my energy into? Um. I think that was sort of interesting. I never actively made that decision that right, this, okay. is, this is something I want to continue yeah. long-term. It just sort of happened organically. We slowly and gradually, you know, continued growing. It's been 16 years now. Uh, 
And so it's, it's been like this slow journey of growth where more and more people got interested. Initially, it was just people from our school, from our class, you know, people who saw what we were doing. They're like, hey, can can we get involved? We're like, of course, that'll be amazing. Um, so there were more people who started joining. And when more people started joining, we thought, okay, we can probably try something a little more ambitious, right? Yeah. We can probably go beyond, beyond just planting trees. Uh, so we tried that. And so on, and slowly we started to sort of take on bigger problems. What, what at least was one inflection point along this journey was that uh, at one point we tried to recycle uh, swimming pool water from our school. So our school had like the swimming pool and at the end of every summer, uh, like at the end of like over swimming season, uh, they'd essentially let water run off um, and then refill that pool next year, right? So that, that was very significant water wastage. Uh, so we thought, hey, can we can we recycle this? Can we maybe like figure out a way to dechlorinate this and then use this in like uh, in in some sort of a public park or a garden or something, just to maybe water plants. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's that was also sort of the first time we tried to use some form of technology. We spoke to a few people, um, tried buying like a few bits of art. Eventually, we did get it to work. It turned out to be much harder than we thought, uh, but. I think that that was that was a key inflection point. That's where we realized that what we're building is isn't just for us. It can work for a lot of people, mm. and it doesn't really have to be localized. Uh, and one thing that helped us sort of on that journey of growing um, as an organization is this project got uh, some visibility. We had the opportunity to share this at one of uh, back then the UNEP or United Nations Environment Program had international children's conferences. Uh, where we had an opportunity to share this. And that's where we really realized that there's just so many people out there who face similar challenges, similar mm-hmm. problems. And so we can really scale these solutions, right? We can sort of work together and that'll act as as this, this sort of a magnification effect, right? They'll act as an impact multiplier uh, where instead of just addressing this problem in one place, we can do that with many people in many different places. And that I think was a key inflection point for us in that journey. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, and I, it brings me to a question I was going to ask you a bit later, but it's it's such a fitting point to, to to talk about it right now. You talk about low-cost cost technology solutions as well as data-driven solutions. What does that mean, and what is this? How is this different from conventional? Oh, solutions I think I've lost you. To environmental um, crises. Still here for me, Madhav. Yeah, I, I can hear you. I'm sorry, my internet can, might be a little flaky. I'm not sure what's going on, but could you could That's you maybe right. uh, repeat the last thirty seconds? Absolutely. So uh, I was just wanting to ask you a little bit more about the differences with which way you're approaching this problem uh, using data driven solutions and and low cost technology versus what is conventionally um, being used by corporates or other organizations to tackle climate change, essentially. Um, and like this space is, is getting quite um, busy, I think, with a lot of new players trying to enter. Um, what do you guys do differently and why is it important, this low cost angle, this localized grassroots solution uh, or volunteer model? What is important and what is crucial for the future? Definitely. Um, I think there, there are multiple aspects to this. Uh, so let me try and unpack that a little bit. Uh, one of the big things is that our uh, First off, you know, additional players coming to the space is amazing. I mean, this is a massive global scale problem which needs as much attention as it can get, as much resources, uh, you know, support, help 
uh, all of that. So it's it's just amazing that you know this is something that people are caring more and more about, and they're sort of mm-hmm. focusing their efforts and trying to solve it. And so that that ties into you know sort of why we do what we do. Uh, fundamentally, we realize that climate change is this incredibly large, complex problem, and we can't solve it alone. Uh, it, it that is something that needs multi-stakeholder solutions. It needs corporations, governments, private sector, um, civil society, all all sorts of groups to come together and really sort of work together in solving systemic issues. Yeah. However, in that process, there are communities across the world who are in immediate crisis situations. So for instance, uh, you know, if there is a policy change, uh, typically effects can take up to decades to, you know, really be felt. Yeah. Uh, in that in that time period, there are people who don't have access to safe water or who have to walk like seven eight kilometers just to sort of just just to have water to drink. And uh, those are sort of very critical, pressing uh, local issues that are very specific to communities, uh, but are urgent. They need they need immediate solutions. They can't really wait for that that decade, or they can't really wait for the implications of that policy to affect start affecting them. Uh, and that, that's where we focus. So we try and build ultimately what what are in some sense band-aids to this very large problem, but focused mm-hmm. on very, very local areas. So we work, we in fact partner very closely with local communities across the world, um, sort of try and deeply understand the problems that they're facing and then build tailored solutions uh, to help, help address those. Uh, so one big example for that is around water filtration, where we built these sort of super low-cost filtration devices um, that allow, uh, you know, people to really, you know, just use water that they have access to, but then pass it through these devices, filter it, make it actually safe for consumption and for usage. Um, So these solutions that are sort of targeted towards these really uh, specific problems that are being faced in specific parts of the world in specific communities, they're not really trying to sort of build a one-size-fits-all solution here Um, and i think that that, that's where our approach differs um slightly it's more focused on how do we sort of alleviate immediate issues and low cost becomes a very critical tool for doing that Um, it helps us scale so both both the technology aspect as well as the, the affordability aspect play a very very major role in making sure that what we're building is uh, you know, we can we can deliver sort of the maximum impact per dollar. We can you know get our solution to as many people um, who who need it as possible. Um, so I think the, the affordability angle plays a very very um, major role there. Given obviously that as as a nonprofit, we are always sort of constrained by our fundraising and the resources that we have access to. Yeah, which which brings me to my next uh, question, which is around the volunteer model. And you mm-hmm. you know you guys have over seven thousand volunteers. That's huge. And just kind of with Xenots also having a similar approach to some of its uh, contribution and volunteer processes. Um, I know how hard it is um, to manage and to to be able to convert volunteer hours and time into impact. Um, especially considering the commitments that other people have, the fact that they are taking time out of their days uh, to give back, and they're they're part of they they embrace that social mission which which you have and what Zenos has, um, but they're but they're limited. So I, I want to understand from an organizational perspective how have you developed it so that 
you can still have this volunteer model, but actually be so um, continue to have it, you know, continue to grow and have so many different volunteers uh, contribute to the overall mission. Definitely, and I think that's a that's a hard problem that we've spent a lot of time uh, mm -hmm. trying to figure out and really experiment with. Um, ultimately, I think one of the big, like sort of probably the biggest factor that has enabled us to have the impact that we've had as an organization is just that um, I'm fortunate to work with an incredible group of really, really passionate people who care very deeply about these problems, yeah. um, who sort of understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, and they really want to be a part of you know, mm -hmm. building those solutions. Um, and I think that happens because of multiple different reasons. One is that we try and work very directly with affected communities. We try and partner with them in this entire process, all the way from ideating to building these solutions to the sort of tech that goes into into it to, you know, all the way to actually delivering and deploying these so that, you know, people can start using them. Uh, and so we, we work very closely with volunteers from affected communities in this entire process. And I think given that uh, people who are sort of very deeply familiar with these problems um, are also, you know, people who are very deeply passionate about sort of helping and working together to solve them. Uh, so that's one aspect. The other is that we've really structured the organization in a super decentralized manner, uh, which means that really uh, there's, we, we don't really rely on very centralized decision making. Um, and so that means that, you know, on the ground, uh, volunteers and teams can really drive uh, projects the way they think, you know, is the best way to go. Uh, and that allows for really a lot of ownership for every single volunteer across mm -hmm. the board. It allows for a lot of, you know, decision making, really driving things. Um, and ultimately, I think that's worked out really well for us for multiple reasons. One, that there's no dependence on this, uh, on like a central person or a central body to make things, which means people can work much faster, uh, there's far less sort of dependence and, you know, blocking, etc. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, far less red tape in some sense. But then also people on the ground really have the best understanding of the problems. So they're really best equipped to make those decisions. Um, so I think that 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 combination of, uh, you know, sort of organizational structure uh, coupled with just incredible people has worked out really, really well for us. Yeah, what, what I hear is that great people plus empowering those great people, and that combination is is, is perfect. Um, that's awesome. And I want to kind of move on to you as well, because you were also essentially our, our, our type of volunteer as well, even if you sit at the, at the head of it. Um, and you continue to pursue your degree along the time of developing Green the Gene and now uh, your, your full-time job as well. So first of all, like, you know, studying a, a CS degree isn't easy. What were you, how were you able to manage your time with your personal kind of development, Green the Gene and your university degree? Um, that, that's definitely been a juggling act. And I mean, yeah. uh, it's probably, there have been ups and downs. So there are times where I'm like, okay, this something has to drop. Like I can't really do all of this. There have been those weeks. Um, but I think ultimately what's really let, uh, let not just me, but like across the board. So we're 100% volunteer run, which means that all of our uh, volunteers, everybody who's leading different parts of the organization, different functions is um, either, you know, in university or is, you know, like early careers starting in their full-time roles and working with Green the Gene in a volunteer capacity. 
so it, it's, it was critical for us to sort of even think of this systemically and see how we can make sure that no one person is, you know, burdened with too much. Um, the way we've tried to make that happen is that, you know, nobody has to spend more than roughly six hours a week um, on, uh, on, on projects with green engine. Obviously, that, that varies quite a bit. Right? There are times where you have to, you know, get something done and then things yeah. can, uh, you know, really go crazy. And then you have like a lot of people working very hard for like a specific time period just to deliver something on time. Um, so I think those are those we've had those experiences and we've learned from them. Um, but I think ultimately uh, it, it did come down to us sort of trying to address the systemically so that nobody is in that position where they have to sort of, uh, where, where they can't take on other things, right? So where they can't manage their uh, full-time career or their university, et cetera. Uh, for me specifically, I think uh, is also it also tied into the fact that I was able to use a lot of what I was learning um, in in college, right, as part of my CS uh, degree. I was able to use a lot of that here uh, in in the technology that we developed. So, for instance, um, our, our water filtration, for example, depends quite heavily on a lot of sensors and a lot of um, applied AI. Uh, just to make sure that the water that is output that comes out of the device is actually safe and usable. Um, so I think just that just that sort of cycle where I was able to use things that I learned in one place and the other uh, really helped sort of reinforce both experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I'm really um, like I think that 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 kind of fact or the way you've built into it that no one volunteer has to spend you know a certain amount of time per week. That is hugely helpful, I think, just so that um, it allows each one to pursue their own kind of activities and not sacrifice. You know, the opportunity cost isn't great. You're trying to build around your free time. So you're you just started working on a new project or more like a, a project which is kind of spun out of Green the Gene, uh, Nostos Homes. I'd love to learn a little bit more about it and, and also understand how, you know, what are you taking from the learnings of a successful project into this new one? Absolutely. Um, so this is uh, super exciting. We've started. We started building this um, towards the middle of last year, and now we're very close to uh, doing our pilot and really launching this. So, uh, Nostros homes are, uh, you know, these fully collapsible, uh, flat packable, modular uh, sort of homes designed mm -hmm. specifically for people who are displaced, uh, forcibly displaced. Uh, either due to the effects of natural disasters or are fleeing from violence. Uh, so this, this is sort of uh, why we're building these. A lot of people who are displaced from their homes essentially uh, are forced to live in, in survival mode situations. So yeah. in very transient housing, in tents, uh, sometimes lack of that. So uh, that that and and that 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 has effects that go far beyond just the roof over their head, right? So that means typically losing access to education, to livelihood, uh, not having access to clean water, not having access to sanitation. So it has this ripple effect on yeah. a lot of things, on like you know, on health, on uh, employment, on just just being able to sort of or just just having access to the sort of life that you did have access to that all of that suddenly disappears and that yeah. also comes at great psychological safety costs which then prevent people from sort of trying to uh you know move out of those situations we hope that nostros homes acts as this mechanism to break that cycle of survival mode living mm -hmm. um and really you know it, it gives people uh the closest thing to a home uh, in such a situation uh, 
so in terms of learnings from CleanZine, I think we've, we've taken quite a bit. We've, uh, we're 100% volunteer driven on this as well. Um, and we've got an incredible team of really, really passionate people mm -hmm. uh, working on this problem uh, on multiple different aspects, all the way from sort of designing this to working with communities to figuring out how this will be manufactured and delivered and, you know, uh, all of that across the board. Um, another big thing that I think we've taken is uh, we're focusing right off the bat on figuring out how do we really uh, scale this. So how do we make sure that um, we are, you know, not fundamentally limited by like purely by fundraising or by sort of donations, uh, even though obviously we do function as a nonprofit. Um, so we're still trying to figure that out. We don't have uh, great answers yet, but that's something that we've started to focus on uh, right off the bat uh, with this project. Um, so I think that's been a super interesting experience really building this out. Um, and we're hoping to launch this and have this on the ground, uh, you know, hopefully in the next few months uh, as a pilot in, you know, southwestern parts of India in the flood affected area. Yeah, sounds amazing. And I think um, the, the scalability aspect of it is, is, is critical, right? Um, and it's important that whatever solution we start to develop, it's, it's great to make something really fancy and really expensive, but then that is only supporting or able to support a very, very small group of people. So it is, uh, it's challenging, I think. I, I can imagine to build something from the get-go to be scalable is not is a, is a difficult task, but, and it probably feels uh, overwhelming to be thinking about all the different inputs and outputs and all the processes that are involved to make sure that they, they continue to grow and, and continue to scale up when, when demand increases. Um, I guess my, my coming to the end of the episode, but before we do, I wanna like just learn about what you're kind of, um, personally what your next kind of goals and ambitions are um because you're managing a, a whole bunch of things you've always been involved in multiple projects um is this how you imagine yourself to be what, are there is there anything else that's kind of interesting for you to look into um i think i've been super excited about the intersection of technology and climate and i very fundamentally believe that um solutions to climate change would have very strong technical components, right? So for, and I think that again ties back into the fact that they have to be scalable, they have to be affordable, they have to be accessible, you know, across the board. So yeah. It's not a problem that can be solved for a group of people, it really has to be solved for everyone. Um, and I, I think that tech would be a key enabler in that, obviously in addition to a lot of other aspects that have to, you know, play that part. Um, so I am very excited about continuing to sort of explore that intersection of tech uh, as well as uh, sustainability and climate change. Um, so hopefully we'll continue working on, on that uh, dimension. Yeah. Nostos is one such uh, piece and hopefully we'll also be able to, at least in the near term, scale that up uh, quite a bit over the course of the next year. So that's another thing that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Well, Madhav, it's been so amazing to have you, and it's been so lovely to hear your story um, from the beginning till where you have got to now, and your continuing kind of ambitions and, and future plans. Um, but I think one thing that we would love for you, for you to leave as a takeaway, almost, is is your experience and what what one piece of advice that would you would leave to, especially young people who who are impassioned about a cause, whether it's climate change or other kind of social. Um, challenges and whether it's local or global it doesn't matter 
um, a volunteer model, a not-for-profit model. These are sometimes frowned upon, especially because they they seem uh, unscalable. They seem like they're they're difficult to continue to grow. And you've proven over the many years that it's something that you can do and achieve huge impact with. Um, so what would you like kind of share with our young people who are listening out there? I think my sort of biggest um, sort of piece of advice or note or whatever you'd call it would be really just get involved um, to actually sort of make that jump and start something. Uh, if, mm -hmm. if there's a problem that you care about, uh, whether it's in your community, whether it's broader, it's just really worth trying to figure out how you can actually just get started and make a dent in it. Uh, it doesn't have to be a very structured approach. It doesn't have to be formal. You don't have to like, you know, register an entity or th those are things that you can always deal with later. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really critical that it says, it says, if you see a problem that you care about, it's just that you get started, like just uh, start doing things. And then you you'd see a lot of support come in. You'd see a lot of encouragement across the board. Obviously, none of none of that journey is easy but um it, it's just super critical to actually you know make that effort that, that that's really the only way where uh, we all of us make progress and that's really the only way we can sort of um Im improve things and try and solve these problems that we see um so even if you do that like in a super part-time capacity uh, while you know juggling a lot of other things um, if you do that as a volunteer uh, or if you want to like start a proper full-fledged entity and work full-time or anywhere on that spectrum really yes yeah. it's, it's super important to just start yes get started amazing thank you so much Madhav. it's really incredible having you thank you i really enjoyed this take care man bye-bye and that's another episode of the Tomato Timer. If you'd like to ask your questions and join us live next week, join the Xenos Discord server. The invite link is in the description. And to learn more about Xenos and how a bunch of students are on a mission of making quality education accessible to all, go to xenos.org. Bye for now.